Hello, this is Grant Parpan. What you're about to hear is our editorial board endorsement interviews with the candidates for Riverhead Town Board. Uh, the first person you'll hear speak is Democratic candidate Juan Michele Martinez, followed by Republican candidate Bob Kern. And then you'll hear Republican candidate and incumbent Ken Rothwell. Evelyn Hobson Womack, the other Democratic town board candidate, was unable to attend the event. She had in the last minute uh, emergency come up, and uh, we had no prior notice. So we went on with the interviews without her. Uh, so she does not appear uh, interviewed here. Uh, the questions during this, uh, they come from the, the voices you'll hear. The first question comes from reporter Tim Gannon. And then you hear from the editors who weigh in on the editorial board endorsements, our executive editor, Steve Wick, Joe Workmeister, who's the editor of the News Review, and myself, content director, Grant Parpan. So we hope you listen uh, before heading out and voting in this year's election. Thank you very much. My name is Juan Michele Martinez. I am a Democratic candidate for Riverhead Town Council. Uh, so I am a downtown resident, have been so since 2008. I live there with my wife and uh, young son, Benicio. Uh, and, you know, we've, my wife and I have been long involved in various things here on the, on the East End and in Riverhead in particular. Uh, and an opportunity arose. I, I'm a firm believer that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Uh, so when the opportunity came to screen for the Democratic, uh, as a Democratic candidate, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, I am somebody that uh, I was not born in the United States. I was actually born in Mexico. So I'm to be an American was a choice that I made. Uh, and I do value that. And I do look at that differently as it was something that I needed to actively, actively do and, and pursue. It was not something that I was born as. Uh, so the opportunity to be part of the democratic process uh, was something that was, I, I, I took it very seriously. Uh, and I, I am honored and, and privileged to have gotten the nomination. Uh, and I'm running because I, I think the best Riverhead is yet to be achieved. Achieved as a downtown resident, I know it has struggled with perceptions of, of safety, uh, and having a young son and, and who goes to the schools right at right at Rowan Oak Avenue Elementary, uh, I, I want to make a difference for him as well as the other kids that he goes to school, as well as the older residents that have been there and, and also want to see improvements in town. So that's the main reason why I'm running. Bob Kern, uh, <clears throat> running for town council in Riverhead Town. Um, I screened out of 16 people and ended up being uh, one of the two candidates that were chosen for this. I have uh, 30 years of business experience, including IT, advertising, marketing, uh, biotech. Um, what made me want to run is uh, this will be the first time in decades that the entire board will be made up of experienced business people. These are people that have owned businesses. Um, the town is a business. Uh, the, other, the other reason, a uh, huge reason, is when our current supervisor got into office, the morale of the department heads went through the roof. It was fantastic. Prior to that, it was basically net zero. Having been on uh, town advisory committees for over 15 years and very experienced in what the process is, I saw this as an opportunity. I need to do this. I need to do this for the town I've been working with and for the town, again, for over 15 years. So 
I'm happy to continue working with the people of the town and for the people of the town. Good morning. I'm Ken Rothwell. Um, my wife and I built our home in Wading River about uh, 25 years ago. I raised my children here in Riverhead. They attended the schools. My older son is now uh, a graduate up in SUNY Stony Brook, and my younger son is in the ROTC program here in Riverhead, which is one of the most amazing programs around. I can, nothing but can just praise and, and what a great program it is. But I was, uh, became a licensed funeral, back, funeral director back in 1995. And um, since that day, I've, I've absolutely loved what I do for a living because it's given me the opportunity to help so many people. Right shortly after we got married was uh, TWA Flight 800 came down, and that changed my life for you know six months to a year. And we worked with families continuously doing volunteer work. And it put me on a track of volunteerism. And I'm, I'm a proud 19-year member of the Volunteer Fire Department. I've been active in the Elks Lodge, Knights of Columbus, church groups and organization. My life has been about volunteer. My wife's a wish grantor for Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, my kids volunteer and everything. It's, it's what we are within our community. Um, when I purchased the, had the opportunity to purchase a funeral home, uh, my first funeral home that I bought was in Southampton. And so I had worked out in Southampton for many years until I was able to purchase the funeral home in Waning River. Since then, we've purchased two more. We've become the largest funeral provider between funeral homes, monument companies, floor arrangements. We do everything. And so I've become a business success story, starting with nothing, and, and we've done very well to get to where and worked very hard to get to where I am today. Um, it's time to give back to the community. 25 years ago, I listened to debates and I attended and I was active in politics and we talked about Grumman and Epcal and downtown Riverhead and revitalization and what are we going to do about it. I became determined, determined to push that envelope and to make things happen. And so in January, I was honored to be appointed to the Riverhead Town Board. And I'm going to tell you that things are finally happening. So for the first time, we're building a town square downtown. We're revitalizing a railroad station. We're on the verge of a $20 million grant to do that for entire infrastructure. In the next 30 days, we're going to be knocking down two buildings downtown. Things are now happening, and I feel like that it has been a great honor to serve the residents of Riverhead. I want to continue this path because we, what we've started, I really want to see finished, and so I'm proud. The apartments in downtown, there's the 500 cap. I think if all the ones proposed were approved, they would uh, exceed that cap. Uh, do you think the town should uh, extend the cap or reduce the cap? Or what do you think they should do as far as downtown apartments? The cap of, of 500. Um, you know, as a, as a resident that, that lives downtown, uh, that, that has skin in the game there, uh, I, I am not particularly happy with seeing all the five-story full build-outs that are occurring there. Uh, I would like to see things you know, lowered a bit, have some setbacks, uh, just to make it more friendly for, uh, uh, for, the, for the users that are going down there, the person that, that is you know, living there, that's walking through the community there. Um, you know, we're talking about that one project on the corner of Osborne right next to the Suffolk County Historical Society – 
and uh, the library. You know, that's going to be a full build out. It's a very busy intersection. Uh, you know, it's it's going to become increased in terms of the traffic, car traffic that's going there. And it's going to be a little bit, you know, scary to navigate as a, as a pedestrian. I mean, it's scary to navigate there uh, on a Friday this time or, or uh, when uh, rush hour uh, at the moment. So as far as the as far as the cap goes, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to seeing it go up. Uh, I just don't think that it should be uh, done via full build outs, uh, five story building. So I'm not opposed to seeing the cap go up. Uh, It just has to be done in a strategic manner uh, that helps complement the area versus dominate the area. Uh, I'm absolutely in favor of supplying housing for people especially young people. And quite frankly, this is 30 years late on Long Island. This is happening all over the island. This will keep people um, that would normally be leaving the island because they can't afford to uh, live here. Uh, so I'm happy to see, and, I, and I've actually looked into who's occupying, like, uh, like Riverview Lofts, for example. It's teachers. It's uh, healthcare workers. These are people that are strapped with student debt. They can certainly move to North Carolina, South Carolina. I do agree that there's a traffic problem, but I also know that um, there has been talks on how to divert traffic and uh, and change the way traffic is moving because that's something that will have to be done. But the demand is there. I can tell you that firsthand because uh, I've spoken to the people that are leasing them. And uh, I am in all in favor of uh, supporting pe- young people uh, that, so they have a place to live. And also what that does is it inspires more businesses, and those people will support those businesses. And there's a lot of good planning going on between the TOD and downtown, and it's done uh, with the community in mind. It's done with a lot of thoughtfulness in mind. It's not just we're not letting people come in and here build us a building. Uh, and so it's, it's really great. And it's happening. People are talking about, I want to do this, I want to do that. It's already underway. The future is here. So when you talk about the 500 cap, um, when you look at projects that are already in the queue, um, we're approximately already about 524, I believe. So we are over the 500 cap when we complete the uh, projects that are currently before the building department and the planning board. So... Those projects are still a few years out before you're going to see them come to fruition, but they're in the planning process. So when someone sees a new building up going up next year and the year after, it's part of that 524, you know, approximate count. We need to balance the housing in, in Riverhead. So what is a, a great um, tribute to Riverhead is that we are currently about 18% with affordable housing, which is unlike no other town on the East End where others are having between, you know, two, 3% of affordable housing. So you're talking about close to one in five homes in the town of Riverhead are affordable housing. The projects that are coming before now in downtown Riverhead are a higher market value for them, and they're going to be higher rent, which means that we'll have um, a balance in, in downtown Riverhead where people will have money to spend. And you need money to spend in order to visit those shops and those restaurants and the merchants. And that's what's needed down there. You look at other smaller projects like the Suffolk Theater, 
what a credible attribute to downtown Riverhead that, that that entire project is. And they're, they've just proposed an expansion. And it's because they need a larger uh, stage area for gathering and to bring in more larger orchestra-style productions. Um, and their stage is extremely limited in size. And so the expansion brings that, but it also does bring some some different apartments down there. And you know what? That that's income that's needed for operations like that to succeed. So that helps them balance their final line by having a few apartments. So whether it, they're they're adding in, you know, four, five, six, whatever it may be, um, it's additional income, and it and that helps. That's a key component to a to a project like the Suffolk Theater, which is needed. And so the key to all of this is balance. So you have affordable housing, then you need to have, you know, a higher range housing, and in the end, it's it becomes balance. Projects closer down there, 205 Osborne, um, that really is a, a crucial project uh, for the Railroad Plaza development. Um, they're, they're investing millions of dollars to take down a dilapidated building, the Long Island Diagnostic Center. Once that building comes down and this new project goes in, it shows that Riverhead is shovel-ready and that we are on this verge of this $20 million grant I spoke earlier of. And so... You need to tell the state of New York, here, look, we're ready, we're building, we're welcoming development, and that's going to change the whole idea of downtown Riverhead from that railroad plaza all the way down to um, to the town square. But that project specifically, when you're talking about apartments and so forth, that's a similar to like a WeWork concept where you're going to have more geared towards professional services. Someone might be a lawyer. And instead of renting an apartment in one part of town and then renting office space to meet clientele, it's like a WeWork complexes where you you live upstairs and you reserve one of the conference rooms down on the lower floors. Um, same thing, a psychiatrist could do the same thing. You know, live there, we're there, and meet clientele downstairs, accountants, all that type of industry where you need that that space. But um, it's a it's a it's a work and live in the same environment. And these are key components. You know, that's right by the railroad station. So now we're bringing people out. Our ridership on the Long Island Railroad is so low, a project like that is finally going to utilize the railroad plaza. And that is the key that gets it started. So so it's all part of a balance. One uh, brief follow-up on that. Uh, when they did the zoning in 2003, the theory was that the um, apartments would bring foot traffic. Foot traffic would lead to stores wanting to come there, like retail stores. And it seems like that part hasn't happened yet. How can you make that happen? Because you need to have balance again. So we have affordable housing down there. If we we're bringing in more of an upscale type home with with people that have extra um, funds to to spend, you know. So where we, uh, you know, all throughout Long Island, new couples, new families, we're living on tight budgets. This is a tough place to live, you know. That's why we, we see so many of our seniors that leave us. They take their retirement checks and then they go other places where it's more affordable. Um, but the balance is that if you can live, you know, you, you generally spend where you live. And so with bringing some of these projects in with, with a, a higher class of, of apartments, meaning that people paying more rent, generally means that they're in a, in a different financial place where they'll spend more and that that's what's needed it's that balance we have affordable housing and so um we're balancing it to stay on the the downtown um subject for a second railroad avenue obviously in the past i mean 15 20 years ago was a very troubled spot but how do you all envision the future of railroad avenue um what should it be what can it be 
Um, it's really been a blight in the past. What do you see coming Railroad Avenue? Uh, so, you know, as I've gone around and talked to businesses downtown, you, you get a mixed, you know, reaction as to how uh, the building of these apartments and the residents have impacted the business. Some some say it's it's hurt, you know, and it's it's they've seen less business as a result of it. Uh, others, you know, you will you will see that you know they they say uh, kind of the contrary. Uh, but you just take a look around downtown. Uh, Michelangelo's is closed. Sonny's is closed. Parabell has closed. Che has closed. The Argentinian Steakhouse. So you you begin to question, you know success by just looking around and, and seeing what what you see around is doesn't indicate that. Uh, so I'm, I'm not completely convinced that, you know, it's the building, all these buildings are, are going to, to make downtown kind of just spring up. I think there's a combination of factors. I don't think that's the only thing that can occur. The other issue, you know, that I look at is I'm a, I'm an I consider impacts. I don't just do something and then think about the impacts afterwards. I like to think about impacts prior to doing something. Uh, and schools, you know, again, I have skin in the game. My son attends school uh, downtown uh, at Roanoke Avenue and will be going on to Pulaski and will be going on to the middle school. All the parents that I talk to at those higher levels talk about overcrowding in schools. So we're going to build all these apartments, bring more people into town bring more kids into the schools, we're going to see even more overcrowding. So I don't, you know, I, I think we have some other issues that we need to talk about and get sorted before we just start building everything and then be like, oh, the crowds of schools are more overcrowded now. How, how did that happen? You know, so I, I think we need to have further discussions before it's just rubber stamp, approve, approve, approve. So I'd like to just speak to that a little bit because I'm very familiar as the president of the Riverhead Chamber of Commerce. Uh, one Michelangelo's, as uh, probably most of you guys here know that, uh, there was a moratorium on rent, right? So when, and that's uh, still going, and moratorium on evictions. Uh, Michelangelo's uh, could not afford to come back after spending uh, in excess of $700,000 on their renovation. Uh, I cannot, I can't mention names, but I can tell you Shea has, uh, is coming back as a different operation, same owner, uh, partner split up, and the owner's coming back. Um, Sonny's was sold. Uh, Sonny Jim will be going to a different location in Riverhead. Uh, and it, that will, things will happen there. Um, and I don't think anybody's rubber stamping anything. Everything is looked as being looked at. What's it? What, what's it going to do for the community? I can tell you that Riverview Lofts, for example, I think has a total. It's 116 units. Has 12 kids in school. The overcrowding in the school is a much uh, larger issue at this particular point. There are a lot of unverified students there. Um, I brought this up last night. There's an unfunded mandate going on to require that schools educate people. This is something that the, this town, the people of this town, not anybody a town board member or supervisor has, you know, is going to go out and, and go crazy over this. But the people need to stand up against the state and the, fe the federal government say, fund it, you know, en enlarge our school, give us what we need, et cetera, et cetera. But... Um, 
you know, there's a lot of dynamics going on or why, you know, business is, is even more than I can say. So what I want to comment first is, um, and I'll get to your question specifically pertaining to the railroad plaza, which I don't think was answered, but the idea is um, when you're talking about businesses downtown, um, the three businesses that you mentioned um, you know, that was saddened that they closed this year, I have to give complete praise to the bid, bid district. The business improvement is everyone that participated in their programs, every restaurant that participated in their gift cards, their series events are all in business and all operating. So complete praise to the bid district. Um, sadly, not every restaurant participated in that venture. Um, in terms of rubber stamping projects, not at all. During the pandemic, we lost drastic revenue in the town, and it made it very difficult to operate an entire budget, you know, on the town with very limited income that was coming through the building department. You know, a lot of there was work stoppages during the pandemic, and that just in projects they couldn't proceed. Um, you could say it, uh, one that it, people are, are rubber stamping projects going through, but I think if you talk a lot of development companies, you could look at this apartment complex. They've been working on this for years. You know, there's projects that are four, seven years in the making. Let's talk about Island Water Park. It's been, this has been going for 20 years in the making. And finally, yeah, we're getting things to fruition right now. Going to Railroad Plaza, to answer your question, incredible opportunities ahead. $20 million grant we're on the verge of getting. Each year they give a $10 million grant. One was not issued uh, last year. So three years ago you, we were upset that uh, the town um, did not get the grant, but it may benefit us in the long run because uh, they didn't give away 10 last year, so this year it's 20. The infrastructure and the um, TOD that was put out for development in that is the first of its kind. Riverhead has never participated in a private venture mixed with municipality funds. So the idea behind that is that we have a, a parking lot right now in front of Railroad Plaza that is not, it's never more than I believe 51% capacity full. It's just, it's vacant area. Now we're given the opportunity for development to take place in there. So investors will come, They'll build offices, compacts, uh, um, uh, expanding off of the court systems where you can have attorney offices, doctor's offices, all different, you know, medical complex. Not losing, you know, the parking area, but going above a parking garage, an entire complex. With that grant, um, that's going to take pedestrian walkways that are going to begin at Railroad Plaza to go all the way down through downtown Main Street, you know, re re redeveloping all the crosswalks and then to eventually to lead you to our incredible town square on the horizon. So the development that will take place in, in, um, in Railroad Plaza, um, we put this uh, request out for bids and we've got initially six. We've narrowed it down to three incredible projects. There are companies, developers, that want to invest in Riverhead because they believe in the path that we're going and in what we've accomplished just in the last year. And part of that is that 205 Osborne project. If we said, no, we're not building this, we're not allowing this to take place, then we're telling the state of New York that we're not ready for development here. And so we're not going to get our, you know, we put our $20 million grant at Jeopardy, and we're telling developers don't invest here because you might be the only single one. That project is there because they know there's an incredible opportunity ahead with this grant. Can, can I just piggyback on that a little bit? And, and I want to include what, what uh, Ken said and involve the chamber in that working with the bid. 
we saved a lot. We helped a lot of businesses with their loans, not only here in Riverhead, but for the East End businesses. We were on top of it and worked seven days a week with the bid to see this happen. Um, the the reason why Riverhead has been unable to go after, you know, to get grants, they've gone after grants, is because the people giving the grants are going to look at the experience of the people, the supervisor and the town board members, okay? And, and I can tell you now because I've consulted on some of these projects like the TOD with some of these developers. There are developers that would never come here, big ones, names that you would recognize that I'm not going to mention. They are now willing to come here. And another point that was made, uh, and I want to, and I think it's very, very important. There are projects in Riverhead. The reason why people didn't come here, six years, nine years, when they can go to another town on Long Island and do it in two years. This board, and and I, since knowing Ken and uh, uh, and I know Frank Bayrod and I know Yvette, uh, they want to see it get done. And I've been around long enough to, to and I've watched developers. I was part of uh, one group we, to bring in $100 million in the previous administration. You know what they said? Oh, we don't know what size hi height we want the buildings and all that other stuff. No problem for the developer. They've got a $100 million fund. You don't want it? We'll go somewhere else. So now it's starting to happen. Pe developers are realizing there are people running the town that understand and not afraid of a hundred million or two hundred million I consulted on a two hundred million dollar project for the TOD. It's you know, it's just nails and wood, whatever it is, right? They realize that there are people who understand and know how to get it done and, and are receptive. It's not gonna happen, you know, all next year to to Ken's point. These things, these things take planning and they take time. So yeah, so the the railroad area, yeah, um, yeah, certainly it, it clearly needs to be improved from what it has been and what it is currently. Uh, again, you know, considering impacts. So you know, I am I am not against development. Uh, again, the height, the setbacks, uh, parking. Uh, you know, again, we we have to accommodate or allow for proper amounts of parking per person per you know per unit, uh, because obviously that that is a utilized uh, a utilized parking area. Uh, so we we have to make sure that we are leaving enough for the residents as well as the the folks that do use that on a daily basis for the courts. Um, but I, I would love to see, I mean, look in, in, a, in, in the future uh, where that rail station is more utilized rather than the six trains per day. I'd love to see light rail uh, going between Riverhead and the East End for folks that are working out there that I could come to work via a train and then hop a, a, a bus or, or even walk uh, from Riverhead to Mattituck. Uh, but I would love to see more, uh, more people there in terms of that the, the train station is being utilized more. Uh, and again, I'm not against development. However, I do think at times where we just, you know, do neg negative declarations where we don't allow a secra to be conducted uh, to just see what the impacts or to consider the impacts. Uh, again, I, I think by what the current board has done in, in declaring a negative declaration in that is just saying that, you know what? We don't really care about the impacts. We Which just project would that be, one? Which project? Uh, 205 is? Osborne. Didn't do a secret? It was a negative declaration on the secret. 
Yeah, but we performed a secret process on it. Yeah, not on not on two hundred five Osborne. It was a negative declaration. Could that on. be because it was already a commercial building there? But yeah, but again, no, we are that, uh, that I'm that I'm not not yeah. certain of. But you're you're taking it from a commercial and turning it into a residential that's now going to have uh, forty apartments in it. So there there are going to be impacts, but you guys are not looking into that because you are not concerned with it because you do not live downtown. But we we just for clarity we do look into secret every time and determine whether or not it needs to, what action needs to be taken and so it's it's a neg deck because it just um, uh, it's not providing the, any type of major impact it, it's a it's a positive project it's it's an area that that that's um, full of life and that needs to be revitalized you're talking about a railroad that that carries 78 passengers a day how how do you deal with how do you develop an area when you have 78 people you know um, go to Ronkonkoma how many cars and how many park there how many of us live in in Riverhead and say you know what I got to get to the city they drive to Ronkonkoma and they take the electric train and go out there if we can develop this project um, utilizing and mixing private with municipality funds and it gets developed people will come why not go in the opposite direction why not with somebody that lives in 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 Port Jefferson to take their train out to Riverhead and walk to their office and be and have a, have a complex right there where you bring that those people then come in and then they, they buy lunch they spend money in Riverhead they shop in Riverhead um, it needs to be developed there. It's a key component to the success of the town. I'll just add in, I, I had a, um, a conversation, uh, in-person conversation with the CEO of the MTA uh, last week um, and about uh, running a train from Greenport to, uh, from Riverhead to Greenport. And they are at least open to a performer. And, and without really diving down into the weeds on this, this is something that we tried to do in 2010 with temporary um, uh, platforms, the way they do it at the U.S. Open. So I had uh, a meeting with him, uh, the head engineer, and uh, there was one other guy, I don't remember his name, but they're open to sitting down and at some point this is just something that I was doing through the chamber um, with the bid, and they're open to working out some sort of looking at some sort of performer. When you say a train from Greenport to River, uh, Riverhead to yeah. Greenport, what do you mean? It would be this, this in, uh, specifically was uh, more of like a, a, a wine train, mm. and maybe with some uh, restaurants, much like it would mimic the uh, Napa Railroad. I don't know if you're familiar with that in Napa Valley. But it would be something similar to that, which, you know, maybe at least now they're, they're willing to talk about that. In your discussions with the MTA, what was the subject of electrifying from Rokakama? It, it's not good. It, it's just... Is that like 20 years away? Or well, it, it, you know, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say that, I, and let's be hypothetical for a second, okay? Uh, if there was uh, a million square feet of high-tech companies in Calverton, okay, um, that would probably get them to to move a little bit quicker. Um, to pay, you know, money goes where 
it needs to go to. You know, what was the number seventy eight? Did you say? I mean, yeah, so with seventy eight riders, how do you convince the MTA to invest millions of dollars to electrify a railroad? Not until the infrastructure is put in place. Again, you develop railroad plaza, you increase ridership. Then you then you could bring MTA to the table on L I and say here we want we want to upgrade now. You got and you got to remember their their whole that whole system. You have to look at that system and the efficiency of that system in general, right? Um, so the MTA itself. So they need to step up the game. Uh, circling back to one topic um, that was briefly mentioned uh, a little earlier, but. Um, yeah, earlier this year, the Riverhead School District passed a resolution outlining some concerns, you know, directly related to, um, you know, the overcrowding and what an influx of students into the district um, would mean, and obviously a lot of concerns um, there. What can the town board, looking forward, um, you know, how will they need to work with the district to accommodate, um, you know, if if we do see this increase in um, in population that leads to more students coming to the district when they're already sort of at a, you know, a, a near capacity levels. Uh, Bob, maybe if you want to take that first. Sure. Um, off the business advisory committee of which I'm the chair, we have a working group right now uh, that's been going on for about six months studying this problem, including when the districts were set up. Uh, <clears throat> you know, which was set up by the state, which included Riverside and Flanders. Uh, we have foiled all the information that we can foil from the school, and we're really dissecting this. And I'll try to tie in the unfunded mandate. There, there are a lot of um, what are called, un aside from the overcrowding, which we can't address right now because of the eviction moratorium, there is uh, a lot of unverified students and so what happens is somebody shows up to the school hi um you know i'm joe okay where do you live joe joe's not on the register i live in you know 401 3 street in flanders okay so then they go out to their their staff that try to verify they give them a phone number they can't verify it by phone number they actually go to the house if they can't verify it by the house there's a whole process and there's a month-long process. If they still can't verify it, it can go on for six months. At that point, they just stop because there's nothing that can be done because, and I'm, we're not sure exactly, it's a state or federal mandate that you must educate the people. It's no different than hospitals have to give health care to anybody, right, whether they have insurance or not. So the, I, I, all I can say is anybody who's listening to this, Juan, you're welcome. You want to be involved? Uh, you know, joint, you can you can get involved in that group and see what they're studying right now because it, it's a problem. It's not fair to the teachers, and it's certainly not fair to the students. And I can tell you, I started the mentor program with the high school. We did a chamber tank thing. I've met a lot of these students and, and the staff, um, and I just want to see the best for them and, you know, whatever that takes. Well, then is the alternative not taking the child? You can't do that. So no. you have to take the child. That's a given. Yeah, and I can I can look I can give verified you verified or unverified verified or un, uh, unverified, and I can give you an example. This happened in this is going on. It's happened in Jericho, and you guys could do the research on it. Where they actually found people taking the train from uh, from Flatbush, getting picked up in a Hicksville train station, and then taken to Jericho High School. They had to follow these people. I mean, their school was getting so overcrowded. Um, 
this is going on. It's not just going on in Riverhead, but there's a big concern that Riverhead is the dumping ground for just a lot of students. And maybe you're hearing that too. Uh, so yeah, I, I have heard, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, I have heard that from somebody as well too. I have not verified, you know, this, uh, and you know, it's, you know, again, uh, if somebody is not living within the the town boundaries, uh, they should not be going to this school. I, I think that I would certainly agree with that. Uh, but the overcrowding is an issue, uh, and it's one that I think as a, as a town board candidate, I would work cl- more closely with the school board, you know, to, to help try and mitigate the issues uh, rather than just, you know, I, I think right now, uh, you know, with code enforcement, you know, look, overcrowded housing, it's a, it's a safety issue, right? I mean, I, I think we have to, if there is, if there are homes that have, you know, overcrowding, then we need to, we need to deal with that with code enforcement. Uh, but if a student is there and they, they are within the district, they should be educated. If they are not within the district, then they, they should be, they should be going to their home district. Well, uh, you know, and you know, why wait to your town board member? Are you welcome to you yeah, know, call sure. me at any time? We'll give you the information yeah, no, on I, what's going I, on. I've actually this started is, conversations yeah. with 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 school board members. I yeah. I'm actually a neighbor to one of the school board members, and we've already started these well, having these discussions. We would like to you know help share that uh, school board member if they're really interested, because we have a lot of information, and we're looking for people that you know, really know what's going on because, you know. Yeah, I've got skin in the game, Bob. There's no doubt that I want want to to see the best. Yeah, absolutely. So there's multiple facets here in order to uh, help our school system. I think Riverhead School District can learn from Shoreham Wading River School District. Shoreham Wading River School District has an incredible vetting program and determining and confirming addresses. And so when when students register, um, they physically go to the home and they physically make sure that, okay, so let me see where the occupants are, where they're coming from, where is the child living and and so forth. In addition, overcrowding has, is, a, is a great concern. You have to realize that the governor put us on hold. You know, so former Governor Cuomo um, stopped all evictions. And so our supervisor has a great plan in place uh, to attack overcrowded homes, but she came in in January of last year, and in February the pandemic came, and and the governor said no evictions, and so you're on hold. So we have we have homes within our town that are subdivided up into occupants in a garage, occupants in a basement, occupants living rooms transferred into bedrooms. It does exist, but there's very very limited action in which you can do right now when you can't hold any evictions. So it's a process that, unfortunately, we are on hold. We're at the mercy of governor. We're hoping that those uh, uh, restrictions are going to be lifted soon. Uh, our code enforcement has expanded recently, um, and so we've added a, a um, another officer. And so we're, uh, uh, we have a plan in place, but the governor has put us on hold. But and it's not just about, oh, I want to, I don't want to be misconstrued. It's not about, oh, we need to evict and we need to, 
you know, remove students or limit, limit people to the town. It's safety first before anything. I can tell you as a volunteer firefighter, you walk into a structure that's full of smoke and you think you're going to go right through, you know, you're, you're looking at a ranch house outside and you're going to go, okay, I'm going to cut right through the living room or I'm going to go, go left towards the bedrooms. And then you find out that you run into a wall. And then you get, you know, and then you go into another wall, and you realize that these houses have become makeshift shelters, and and you try to enter rooms, and there's lock on individual doors. You have multiple families living in a home, and they're individually putting deadbolts on their doors. And now you got to try to force your way in entry to try to search for for any potential victims. It's pure safety, but I think that safety factor, when it's properly addressed. And that you're able to go into these homes and begin evictions for safety reasons. People having hot plates in basements with no secondary egress, it's dangerous, okay? And there's there's a tragedy waiting to happen. When you address those things from a safety avenue, and then these, these families do have to divide up in terms of, of having safer structures in homes, then perhaps there's not going to be such a massive overcrowding in schools as we begin to spread them out. I also think it's time to... Uh, for Southampton to step up a little bit. We, we take a lot of students from, from the Southampton side and we welcome them Riverhead School District, but I think uh, um, it would be nice at some point for Southampton to, to begin to uh, grow their school system, whatever, to be able to accommodate these students as well. Um, and that would help alleviate some of the overcrowding here, specifically on the Riverhead side. Especially when you look at, uh, if, you, if, if you, any of you have seen the uh, plan for Riverside, Flanders, they're, they're talking about building 20, 2,200 units. We're not going to absorb that, and that's in our school district. Um, so that's something that we're also looking at, and we're also looking at what taxes they're paying to, into our system. So uh, it's... You'd have to build a whole other school on the other side of the river. Yeah, it, it, that, need, that really could be happening now. Ken, I'll, I'll actually direct this at you first just to follow up on that. What kind of... It is important for Riverhead and Southampton to plan together. I know, you know, right now we talked about this grant, and both towns are sort of competing for. It. I mean, what effort is there to work together? I mean, what kind of conversations are you guys having with the people on the Southampton town board? So I, I will say that there's not currently a line of communication between the two town boards to address this. I think it needs to come from the school boards. Okay, and so I think that the Riverhead Town School Board, along with Southampton, has to really come to the table. Now, we certainly— Just to clarify, though, I mean, be beyond just the schools, though, just with the overall redevelopment in that area. In terms of, like, the direction we're going? Or? Uh, I just mean there's, there's two efforts to redevelop downtowns, downtown and, 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 and Riverside. Mm -hmm. You know, downtown Riverhead and Riverside, right across the river there. What kind of planning is going on? Together. So in terms of development and planning down there, uh, there are great lines of communication. So Jay Schneiderman, as the Southampton Town Supervisor, has outlined um, an entire redevelopment program of the Flanders area and what he'd like to see um, growing up there. Um, there's been a few proposals that have been recently uh, denied over there, the 7-Eleven in Flanders and developing that corner property that we see is, is a Blythe area. But um, They've held off on that because they have higher expectations of, of what they want to see in that area. So um, I think that as we get our town square up and running and, and you know, these, these buildings are coming down, um, it sends a clear message to Southampton that, wow, Riverhead's moving forward. They're investing there, and so we need to invest on the other side of the river right there in Flanders. And I think together we grow because 
it's uh, we're so close. I mean, I, I, I sit on the Peconic River and then, you know, I smell those burgers coming from McDonald's and I go to Southampton, you know, and in other ways, you know, um, we, we work together, we live together. Um, of course, you know, there's the intermix of the schooling and so forth, but there are people in, in Flanders that, that are, are working and operating in, in Riverhead and vice versa, you know. Um, but I think that Southampton has specifically been on hold and I can't tell you the reasons why or speak for Southampton, but I'm certain that I have seen their designs and his development for that area. And I think that once you see projects succeeding in Riverhead, in downtown, where are you going to develop? What's the closest next proximity that's going to um, mirror the image? And that that's right there in Flanders. And I think then you're going to see that uh, revitalization there begin. You know, it just sort of seems to me that there's this downtown Riverhead, I mean, and you would know, Bob, working with the chamber and working with the bid, it's such a, it's it's the heart of the town. But can you say the same for Riverside? I mean, that's not the heart of Southampton. That's sort of like, it, 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 from your perception, working with the businesses in downtown Riverhead, and then what you see across the river, do you feel like Riverside is sort of an afterthought for Southampton? Or do you think they are focused on that? I mean, well, Prior to the pandemic, I was going to meetings with Southampton so, and what their redevelopment plans were because we were very interested in that because the chamber, uh, our, our, um, uh, our district for the chamber it is the school district. So Flanders and Riverside is included in that. Uh, the, the impediment right now, or, or not the impediment, but what's really in the way of development in Southampton is the sewer system. They do not have a sewer system uh, that and that's what that's what they're looking at. At one point, they wanted to plug into ours. I've spoken to our guy, and saying, could we, could we, you know, one charge him for that, hand, you know, uh, handle that that kind of flow, and we couldn't, you know, because that could be, bring great fees. We also looked at we uh, we spoke about converting the effluent into hydrogen, and then we would have something that we could sell. So I mean, but. To go back right now, it's 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 really the the sewer infrastructure that's uh, preventing them from really moving forward. Just to p- piggyback on what Grant was talking about, you have this great effort for the downtown, and you know for years and years, businesses on on Main Street had their backs to the river, this really pretty river, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to obviously change that. Is does large scale development just on the other side that might add hundreds of kids? Does that hurt? Your vision for downtown is that the detrimental to what you're trying to pull off, and then we'll get. It, 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 look, it, it, they have to at some point. If you want to face the river with something really beautiful. Yeah. It's it sort of seems like with that kind of massive development, I'm going to say 2,200 units or something. 2,200 units, but those 2,200 units and not one are not going to be on the river. The last plan that I saw pre-pandemic is along the river across from us is a uh, it's a, a linear park that's going to go along the river so it, that you wouldn't even you know that's not going to be an impact and this also talk about you know putting a bridge across a walk bridge which would have to be you know pretty high but um so i you know this is pre-pandemic those meetings stopped during the pandemic, but uh, again, it, it's this, the uh, the sewage treatment that they need to deal with, and I know they they're, they're talking. And about want that. to direct the question more personally at you. I mean, you you say you live downtown, you opened up, you talked about safety. Um, is Riverside 
a concern for you living downtown? Do you feel like Southampton's been a good partner to the residents of downtown Riverhead? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think uh, just driving through, I think anybody can assess the importance of Riverside to the town of Southampton. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it is it's physically on the outskirts of of town. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I can't. Don't want to say that I, I think it's an afterthought, but it does would not appear to be on high on the priority list. Um, and you know, would I would it help to not have the kids from Southampton uh, come to uh, Riverhead School District once they finish finish Phillips? Certainly would. It would certainly alleviate uh, some percentage of of crowding in the school. Uh, long term, I mean, I, ideally, I would like to see that. I'd like to see Southampton Southampton Southampton, you know, manage and and take their kids on and put them through their school system uh, for that reason of of overcrowding. Uh, but obviously, the infrastructure needs to be enhanced or there has to be further talks about it. But uh, it's not something that I would would advocate for us to say, hey, next school year, they're going over. It's something that we'd have to plan and strategically plan. Again, impacts, we have to talk about what the impacts will be and have a strategic plan to allow that to occur. It seems as though, I mean, just being an observer in in Riverhead for a long time, that uh, Flanders and Riverside, it's more than an afterthought. It's almost like they never cared about it. And it's right across from you guys, so you're the ones who are the most impacted by that. I mean, there are streets over there that look like they never even paved them. I mean, honestly, it looks like that's been just ignored by the town for years. For the vision that you guys have for, for Riverhead, doesn't that work against what you want to do? I mean, how do you get Southampton to care about that part of it? Is, first of all, is that our job, okay? Our job is to take care of Riverhead. Um, it's the job of the people in Riverside and Flanders to stand up to, to, to their own town in Southampton. You know, we, we need to, we're just at now on the precipice of, you know, putting uh, the right people in place to actually start to really work on our town. Uh, to, to overextend ourselves into Southampton, I think, is a bit of a reach. I certainly would support, and there are organizations uh, in Flanders and in uh, Riverside, I'd certainly support them you know, going to their town and saying, hey, look, you've, you've, you've got a lot of resources. Help us. Uh, but yeah, you're really going to need that. I think it's a uh, two-step proposal, so I'm going to go back just for a moment because you talked about the Peconic River and specifically. I have said since we came to Riverhead that the development of downtown from a perspective of trying to utilize the Peconic River and Main Street the town was built backwards. And I, and I say that meaning that look, observe, and learn from other municipalities, other places. Look at Port Jefferson, and you can walk along the shops of Port Jefferson, and you could look out on the water and look at the boats, and it's this beautiful view, and you could sit in front of a shop in Port Jefferson, enjoy the sunset and things, and, and, you know, and just you, know, you learn from that. We try to, We have this incredible asset of ours, you know, the Peconic Riverfront. And when we, we go down to the Peconic Riverfront and we turn around and we look at Main Street, what do we see? We see the back of buildings, we see dumpsters, and we see where everyone hides the things that they don't want on Main Street. And so this town square is the biggest component to revitalizing all of downtown Riverhead, and it will lead into your second question. But when you take down those two buildings, imagine standing in front of the Suffolk Theater at the front door 
and looking straight at the Peconic Riverfront and, and there, you know, with a nice uh, boathouse right on the water. I mean, the development that's being proposed is incredible. And it's the saying that if you build it, they will come. You look at Flanders Traffic Circle, they built that, that office complex on there, and I believe most of it is still vacant, okay? When we redevelop it and when we start here in Riverhead and you remove, you know, uh, the dilapidated buildings and you build this incredible town square, you're inviting businesses, you're inviting people to come. I want, I want the people of Port Jefferson to say, I'd love to go down to downtown Riverhead and have dinner out there and walk along their, their waterfront. And when you do that, it leads to your second question, well, how do you address in Flanders? Well, Flanders is the town of Southampton, so we're not the governing body there. But I am certain that when we step it up a notch and when we get our development in place, it follows because they're too close to us. So if I'm a business and I go down Main Street and I hope that Envision in a few years, they're going to be like, there's no more offices to rent. I got no more retail space. Where am I going to go? How about I just go 100 yards over there across the river and I can put my retail store right there and be successful. And those people from that town square will walk over that bridge and they'll come visit my stores, my shops. And it will, investment will take place in Southampton. But we got to lead by example. And that's what we're doing in Riverhead. You know, every uh, every one of these elections, we, we talk about uh, EPCAL and what's going to happen there. And, um, uh, you know, obviously this pendant sale with uh, Calvinton Aviation is still out there. Not much has really uh, changed on that front in the last uh, year or so. But um, maybe, Juan, if you want to start off, just, you know, what, what do you, you want to see at EPCAL, you know, with this um, cats sales still pending. Is there anything that the town board will, will have to do or should do in, in this next uh, term to, you know, look at that or change anything that's happening there? And uh, you know, just overall, what um, what the, that future of EPCAL should be? And yes, uh, as as everybody's aware, we are involved in a contract with with Triple Five, um, you know, and. Part of part of that contract is demonstrating uh, uh, the Q and E uh, quality and, uh, and eligibility, uh, and at this point, Triple uh, Five has failed to demonstrate that in a sufficient manner. Uh, they've provided some documentation to a third party uh, attorney that the town board is not does not have the privilege to, to look at it they have to they have to just you know take another person's word and, and granted it is an attorney uh, but again if if something that I would want to see is I would want to see a certified PL a balance sheet something of more significance than a third party letter that uh, that I'm, that I'm not able to 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 see if they can not demonstrate that financial ability to to move forward with the project. I would advocate for getting out of that that contract, uh, and then from there, you know, uh, would we'd have to seek other other types of industry or businesses that would come in to to develop that uh, to hopefully create with the idea of creating jobs. Uh, and and right now we are not doing that, and we are not with the partners. You just have to look to the West in Brookhaven. Uh, they pulled out of a contract contract with triple five as well. Uh, and I believe that we should follow suit. When we talk about the contract, it was an inherited. It was a contract that was signed by former Democratic supervisor, Lord Jen Smith. It is a terrible contract. I don't think anybody on the town board right now is happy and content with it, but it's a contract and it has legal bounds and, and we are binded by the contract. 
And so when somebody says, I want to come in office and I want to end that contract, what you're saying is I would like to start five years of legal battles um, with no goal in the end because it's not the contract. It's not triple five that's holding us back. It is the Wildlife Scenic Rivers Act that's saying that you can't subdivide it until you get our approval. We are waiting on the subdivision of the project. It's nothing to do with triple five. We took a look at Triple Five's finances. They showed that they were financially stably sound. We don't need to see what stocks and what investments they're looking at. The attorney conf confirmed that there is, you know, that the financial being is stable and there are funds available to outright purchase and to complete this deal. But that's what we got right now. We're waiting for the uh, subdivision to come through. It doesn't matter who wants to buy it right now. Until we get our subdivide, you know, subdivision approved, th there's nothing to sell here. And so, but what will happen is once um, it is approved and the subdivision is approved, then absolutely, before we accept a check, before we sit down on that, that final hour to go to closing, we're going to say, now let's take a real good look at these finances and prove that what, what the, per the person that is putting these finances down is going to be able not to just complete the purchase, but there's more to EPCAL that's in that contract. They're required over five years to invest over $1 million in the development of those runways. They have to invest over 100,000 square feet of um, uh, building space there and, and with the goal of creating high-tech jobs there. There's a plan in place from Triple Five, but we need the subdivision first. That's that is our, our our prime concern, and that's yes. And so, Suff, um, we're in litig we're in litigation. So, what happened is Suffolk County Water Authority feels that Riverhead doesn't have the ability to serve the water there. So they say, we want the we want the water, and so we would like to be given the uh, the, the contract to to provide water to EPCAL. The whole concept of us being in court with Suffolk County Water fighting over. Um, this subdivision is completely ridiculous, but I'm going to tell you that it, it's proponents within the Suffolk County Water Authority um, that have uh, pushed us to the point where no action can be taken because Suffolk County Water Authority works very closely with the DEC. And so the same components, it's the same players that are sitting at the table going, wow, if we can just tell Riverhead to say, forget about Riverhead water and give them Suffolk County water, then, then they can go ahead and subdivide it. It's not fair. It's not ethical. We're in litigation in court to say to the judge that we have the ability to provide um, plenty of water and plenty of infrastructure for EPCAL. So it's like me if I'm going to sell you my house and I'm going to sell it to you for $500,000, but it needs a new roof. But after I sell it to you, you have to use this specific contractor and pay them $100,000 for that roof. That's what's really happening. Like, who is the Suffolk County Water Authority to tell the DEC who can provide the water or not? Um, we have the infrastructure. We can do it. But even if we couldn't and, and Suffolk County was there, that should have no, no play on the subdivision of the process. But it's the same individuals and the same players within the Water Authority that are that are, are pushing the DEC. It's not fair. It's not ethical. It's not right. And that's why we're in litigation. And that's what we need to do is, is we need to win the, the court proceedings, 
get the property subdivided, sit down with triple five and go, now we're at the 12th hour here, show us your finances, open your books, you're good, we'll take a check and let's move on. Doesn't matter who buys it, the goal of this is to get it on the tax rolls. We've had this property close to 30 years. We're giving up millions of dollars, approximately 1.3 million, I think, in, in basic taxes. Get it on the tax rolls now. Not much more to add to that. I mean, I, I sat with the previous administration, and I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to waste any time. I, I think Ken summed it up really well. I mean, the original deal of 600 acres uh, should have remained as 600 acres. Uh, you know, although Laura did sign the ultimate ultimately signed the contract, she was locked into signing that contract from the prior administration that she had taken over from. So I'd like to clarify that first. Uh, and that additional thousand acres uh, was 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 made or added in order to try and help an election bid, uh, which obviously did not not work out. But I, I do not think that was a, was a good idea. I mean, it, I just recently was was over at EPCAL and, you know, the $1 million for the runway is, a, is, I mean, you might be able to fix some cracks on one side of it. You are, that requires more than a million dollars to, to resurface and, and make it ready for aviation. Uh, but the 1,000 acres should certainly would not be part of a future future deal. It would go back to the initial 600 acres. It is environmentally sensitive areas, and it's going to be it's going to be critical to find a balance, you know, to so we don't have further impacts like we've had from the Navy. Uh, but I, I, I would not want to see that. How do you feel about that land part of this? Can I address that real quick? I'll address that real quick. You know, if, if I was doing that purchase, if I'm triple five, I don't want that land. Why don't I want it? I can't touch it. Why am I? Why would I want to pay tax on it? So if, if somebody buys that deal and they're willing to pay the tax on land they can never touch, the town gets that and tax certainly revenue. certainly can't touch it. No, they cannot touch it. So the, t the town gets the tax revenue. So that land would just stay wild? In the contract, they can't touch it. Correct, yeah. So it, it, it's it's part of like a basically open space land preservation. Um, you know what? There is enough in that core of the development. There is enough to provide high-tech jobs, to build infrastructure, to do it. Yeah, and let's put a portion of aside. You know, one of the greatest assets that Riverhead Town, I call it the, the jewel of Riverhead, is the bike trail, the EPCAL trail that goes around Veterans Memorial Park. Um, so obviously that's separate, but just to play off of it, you know, that is uh, what an incredible asset that we have all during COVID. That park has been filled. Um, I put the bike share program in there, so pedal share came in, and you've got a nine-mile trail that goes entirely around EPCAL, and you get to see the beauty of that. It goes into, we have five different stations of five different uh, scenic wildlife areas to view, and, and uh, it's incredible. So if you're asking me, can we protect a portion of that land and still develop it and get our infrastructure and get a good property tax base, it's a good balance. You mentioned high-tech jobs there, and I, I do wonder, are we confident that that's what's going to be there? Do we, are, are we confident that Triple Five is genuine in, in terms of how they plan to use that land? Prior to the sale, they have to show that they're financially sound. Uh, so it's not just that I have enough money 
uh, to provide a check, you know, to purchase it. They have to provide that they have enough financial stability to invest in the property. And that specifically means within that five-year scope of land, they need to build infrastructure. They need to build 100,000 square feet of, of, uh, of uh, infrastructure in there, warehousing, whatever it may be, to start building. And so um, that's part of the financial view, which will be looked at you know, at the time of closing. But this whole idea of aviation there, it seems like that was sort of the original intent. And I, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like it, it just doesn't seem like there's like I hear anything about that anymore about Is that really what they're going to do there? That was kind of the Preston's thing. But is that really what triple five does? I mean, you know, I, I, I was at the, the, the property in Jersey um, and it's an amusement park. You know, and I know you can't necessarily do that at EPCAL, but um, I, I, I just personally wonder what that looks like 10 years from now. Is this actually aviation and high-tech jobs, or is this a casino? Is this some sort of amusement park? I, I, it's definitely not a casino, <laughs> so we'll, we'll take that right off the table. Triple Five has a very wide expanded portfolio of investments. So they're not just like, you know, in malls. They're not just in aviation. It is a wide. It, no, their website like a, does. And I don't mean to debate you or cut you off. Yeah, but, yeah. The, you know, I, it's been pointed out to me that their website does say Indian gaming among their. And I can't find any evidence that they do Indian gaming anywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I can't answer that, you know, but um, uh, but there's not going to be a casino up at up. <laughs> I'll say that again. Um they have a, a, a wide range of investments, but I think the key component is is that they have the financial ability to develop it, you know, and that that's the whole key component. So when you look at their portfolio, and that's what you need to take, you know, that's when you really need to take a hard look at the finances at the time of clothing, that they have the, the infrastructure, the financial backing um, to develop the process, and that, that there are certain scopes that are required of them and steps that they need you know, that they're obligated by, you know, within the contract to develop the property. And specifically, working with the Community Development Agency, Don Thomas has been instrumental. It's we're looking at high-tech jobs. That's what we want there. And they said they're committed for it. And they, they, they've, they, you know, they've clarified that many times over, that what they're looking at are high-tech jobs, and that's what Riverhead needs. It's what we haven't had there um, since Grumman and, and – and, uh, uh, you know, um, the aerospace program was phenomenal. I mean, I still sit and I still get in awe talking to our elders about what life was like at Grumman, you know, and then to go back to like how many employees were there to give you an idea that I think um, Grumman is still in the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest corporate picnic, you know, in history was there. I mean, there's a lot of people there, a lot of jobs, a lot of activity, Need to get back to those days there. I'm hoping maybe Triple Five will bring that to the table. But you do feel uh, we'll go to you in a second, Juan. But you do feel, uh, Ken, that down the road, five, six, seven years when you might have moved on to something else, where the town board moves on to other things, they can't come back and say, "Well, you know what? It didn't work out the way we intended. We would like to go for assisted living complex or a casino, which obviously the one in Atlanta is just rolling in money. Can you make sure that won't happen there?" Through means of zoning and 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 yeah, I I can't, you know, I can tell you that as long as I sit on this board and I have, I'm sure Bob Kearns at my side will agree, and and the other members of the board, you know, through means of special permits, it's not going to be a casino up there. 
Um, so the only way to answer your question is to make sure that if you keep me and you keep this team in place, you know, many years from now, then we can assure that. But the part of the problem with Riverhead is that we change town boards too often and different players come to the table with different ideas. So I can't tell you, you know, what Riverhead will be like in 20 years. We need to plan the best we can. And that's why I think it's so important that what we're achieving right now, what I've achieved in the last year and what our supervisor has achieved since came in, and with, with Tim Hubbard and Frank Bayrock, what we're doing is, is we are on the right course. Riverhead is moving in the right direction in terms of a balance. You asked a lot today about development projects and downtown revitalization, but let me also point out the biggest asset that we haven't talked about is our, our land preservation, our, our agricultural heritage here in town, over 2,000 acres of preserved land. I'm on the uh, farmland preservation. It's incredible what we're doing, and that's balance. You know, people don't realize our agricultural uh, zone goes all the way from Fresh Pond Avenue in Calverton all the way to the South Hole Town Line. When you look at the zoning map, the whole top of the map is all green. It's agriculture, and I love it that way. It's about developing in the right place. So, Juan, what is your view of, of where the town's going, has been without Cal, and where do you think they've gone wrong? Um, so, one of the things, that, it, Bob, do you agree with that sentiment of no no casinos at, at EPCAL? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't see a casino there at all. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah. thanks for the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just curious to hear your, your position. I'm sorry, Steve, the, the question. Well, what about you, though, Juan? Do you? Would you, if a casino was proposed there, no. that's a No, I would not advocate uh, for a casino there. Uh, no, yeah. But I'm sorry, Steve, what was No, the, just where do you, I mean, EPCAL's been a long-running drama mm -hmm. for a long time. Where has the town gone wrong, and where do you think it should go in the future with this? So, once again, I, I think we've, you know, we're with a partner. Uh, I think part of the issue, uh, from what I understand, of EPCAL uh, was the original uh, the original environmental assessment that was conducted was based on the 600 acres uh, with 50 parcels. Uh, and then when it went and that, that, had, that was conducted, submitted to the DEC, when Triple Five got a hold of it, they changed uh, what that environmental assessment had been uh, conducted for. Uh, and so that created issues with the DEC because this was very different than what was originally uh, proposed. Uh, so part of what I would do is would want to work with the DEC to see what can be done without, you know, kind of getting it tied up with, with them. So if the original plan of that size was something that they would, would do, so that would be a baseline. So how can we modify that to what are other modifications that they would permit versus just we're going to do this and then submit it and, and then be surprised, you know, when they, they don't. So I would look, and again, being part of the agricultural community, the DEC, uh, you know, sets guidelines and we have to follow them. So again, even in, in the vineyard uh, area, you know, we can't do things without DEC approval. So once again, I would work closely with the DEC to find out what are the permitted things, how can we make this work versus, and then trying to say, hey, this is what we have, this is what can be done there, uh, versus allowing somebody to come up with a plan that is not going to get approved by the DEC, and now you're just sitting here waiting. Uh, can I just, yeah, you know, then was, we'll move on to Justice Court now. Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating to me is in 2008, so I've been on the Ag Advisory Committee for a very long time, we went to the town and said, look, while you're waiting to sell this, 
lease it to farmers. This is 2008. That that land would be taken care of. It'd be beautiful. And the town said, no, we think we're going to sell it. Even if it was sold today, it would be three years before a shovel went into the ground. If it was sold today, the DEC was fine because of all the other, other agencies that have to weigh in on this. Yeah. I want technology, why? Because I look at the proximity to Brookhaven National Labs. I look at the, pro, you know, it's, it's an ideal setup. People think of Silicon Valley like it's the only tech hub in the country. There are literally hundreds of them. And, and if you look at wherever they went in, they went in basically in distressed areas or right outside of good areas, and it just uh, it just raised the level entirely. But anyway, um, Justice Court. Um, we've all, as reporters and editors, we've all sat in there for arraignments or something. I mean, I used to talk to Alan Smith about it, and he was sort of horrified at the conditions in there. Um, the state, you guys got the armory a, a number of years ago, which is really kind of a cool building, although mm -hmm. you walk through it, it really could use some help. Mm -hmm. Where does the town go um, moving forward on both a justice court and just town offices? Where do you go? What, what is the plan? Why don't we start with you, Juan? Uh, so this is an issue that I, I have not uh, become as familiar with. Uh, I, I do, I am aware of the current status of town hall and how it is, you know, it's different subsidiary offices are, are broken up in different parts of town. So there's no one-stop shopping. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's a, there's a, a, a considerable amount of vacant buildings on, on Route 58. Uh, you know, could one of those potentially be occupied by a, by a larger town hall? Uh, I think that, that could, that certainly could happen. Um, but beyond that, I don't have, uh, as far as the justice courts, I, I don't know what do you, uh, what, well, I mean, it's clearly overcrowded, okay. and the holding the, the holding pen on the side mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. doesn't so just it the looks kind of dangerous. Sizes. I mean, it doesn't look safe even. I mean, yeah. Alan Smith used to complain about all the time that you could pull up, you know, behind that building and you know do whatever mischief you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, he never felt it was safe. If you went in his clerk's office, I mean, every square inch was just stacked with stuff. Yeah. You could barely sit down anywhere. Sure. Literally, there was no chair to sit down on. I mean, clearly, this is a an issue for the future. Yeah, even just walking defendants in for arraignments and they go right through the lobby. So if yeah. Town Hall vacated that building where it is currently on, on Howell, that could be expanded into for the for the justice court. But again, you know, I know the different divisions of town hall are, are sparse throughout town. If they went to a different location, a non-justice uh, form of of uh, of the government could be put together at a at a, another location. And is there a future for the armory? What do you think? Well, I actually work with. Uh, uh, Judge Alan Smith uh, for quite a while, and, and I'm really unfortunate that he passed. He's a real brilliant guy, and I love working with him. Um, and we looked at the armory. I'm very familiar with the, uh, you know, the police station in general, and the and the court system. There's no Sally door, and I've been in in his office, and uh, and there's also uh, the waiting area. You know, people are exchanging information, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of the armory. And, and, and I'm, you know, Ken may have more information on this than I do at this point. But, you know, we bought that the we bought the building from New York State for a dollar. They sold it to us for a yeah. dollar. Uh, there, there is uh, asbestos mitigation that needs to be done in there. If the state paid for that, that would be great. It's a phenomenal building. I've also I've looked at plans 
um, and I, uh, you know, what it would look like with the courthouse and the police there and the ambulance there. Uh, that's something that I would, you know, I, you know, would discuss with, uh, you know, when I'm elected to the, you know, with the rest of the board members. But Ken may have more information. I can tell you that we looked at a lot of stuff. Uh, I sat a lot with Alan and with developers uh, and designers on this. And um, I'm trying to think of the, oh, but we also, we also were looking at, you know, maybe we need more of a, of a video court system as well, you know, and do that like, uh, you know, it's done in other places. So with that, Ken, you may have more information on that at this point. So it's something in which um, I'm going to give credit uh, Councilman Tim Hubbard has put in an enormous amount of time and effort into trying to resolve this. And so the direction and, and the thought process I'll explain to, of, of where we're headed and how we achieve it is that um, the police are, are, are full. The justice court is overloaded. The idea is that the justice court moves over to town hall. They use the current town boardroom. We use they, – they get full access of all the town offices um, for jury rooms, judge chambers, storage. That frees up all the space in the police department. We're looking at expanding our police department. And when you expand the police department, you're expanding services. So the police department could certainly use that space within, within um, the, where currently where Justice Court is. So the police department expands. Town hall now becomes um, – our courthouse. So where do we go, right? <laughs> so when you look at the armory, we have looked at developing that as the new location of the town hall. Financially, doesn't make sense. I think the time that we pay um, and the money that's going to take to remedy any um, environmental conditions, such as Bob mentioned, asbestos and other ideas, it doesn't prove financially sound to develop right there. So what we're in the process of doing, we looked at other locations. We did look at the location in Kmart and Riverhead, and just to kind of look at that, we looked at you know the Walmart area. We're looking at anywhere there's a large building and saying, is this a potential place for town hall? What we would need to do is put all of those offices under one roof, okay? So the idea is we can sell the building department across the street. You know, we can sell, you know, um, uh, the... Um, financial, you know, our, our uh, west side of Town Hall over by Glenwood, and we can sell that property. And there's another, there's a number of different offices. We even looked at incorporating the Riverhead Ambulance, you know, under one roof as well. Then to sell off all those properties to help pay for the development of Town Hall. The problem right now that we ran into in some of the most recent proposals, and what I'm going to tell you what I stand for, and other town board members may have a difference of opinion, but I am not interested in any type of long-term leasing options. I want to buy. Um, and some of the proposals that have come before us, from because people say, why don't you just go into this building? Why don't you take over Walmart? Why don't you take over Kmart? Because they only want leases. And leasing, you, you put all of our equipment in there, you sign a 20-year lease, and 20 years from now, um, they say, no, we want a lot more money or get out, and now we're homeless with a town hall. I'm not interested in leasing at all. We looked at potentially doing like a five-year lease where the developer would have to actually develop and build all the offices. And we thought and from a financial standpoint, it would be a win-win for us. But we, we reached out to the state of New York, and they said, no can do. A municipality cannot be involved 
um, um, in uh, um, leasing with options to buy. So you can lease a facility, but you can't have, we wanted the option to buy. And they said no, because that essentially is skirting or going around potentially, um, you know, avoiding um, market rates for building and so forth and, and union contracts and so forth where, you know, we have obligations that when we, when the government builds a project and a path that we have to follow as opposed to an independent builder. So we can't do options to buy. So we need to buy. We're currently looking at now, so if we look at Town Hall, so one of the options, and, and we just only within the last few weeks just had another uh, a very productive meeting to see what the potential of taking Town Hall itself and, and to putting a second story on Town Hall. We look at the, the, the frontage of that whole parking lot, and so maybe we take currently Town Hall and we build out onto the parking lot, then maybe remove the building department across the street and make that additional parking. So kind of looking at the complexes that we have now um, to determine what's the best financial course. So it's something that uh, I give complete praise to Councilman Tin Hubbard is, is – I mean, on, on every opportunity, he's out there looking at every different place where to build, where we can do it. Um, but it takes a lot. Of, it, it, it's, it's a lot of homework in place. You can't just say, oh, let's just go build this. You're talking about projects that's millions and millions of dollars. So is Kmart and Walmart off the table now? I think at this point, yes. I think Walmart has a um, has another buyer. buyer. They have a restaurant depot, I believe, is going to come into Walmart. Um, and I think with... Without, I will say, I'll speak to me as one vote on the board. Without having the option to buy at Kmart, I'm not interested in a long-term lease. It doesn't make financial sense. So just to ask all three of you, is there a future for the armory? What, what will it become? There could be a future if we get grants. So by means of grants, uh, financially for us to pick up the bond to try to clean it up and so forth, it would, it's, it's, it's too much money. If we can get grants and maybe take the armory and p perhaps take a portion of it from a historical point to turn it in, maybe the front becomes a, a museum, a frontage, and then the back becomes part of town hall. Um, grants open up doors to everything. But if we have to do it on our own, I don't, I don't think it's financially uh, possible. I, I would have this uh, discussion with uh, – I'd look for help from Jody Giglio, Assemblyman, Assemblywoman Jody Giglio and uh, Senator uh, Palumbo because I've, I've been involved with that Armory project. And uh, I know when the, when the state sold the building, it was you – could, you could only do police there. Uh, you, know, I, 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 you know, we looked at it and I said, well, let's just give it back to the state. Okay, we'll we'll give it to them, right, and let them deal with it, or let us get you know change use because we also looked at it as to be a great community recreation center, right? Because the schools don't provide that after school anymore, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it, it it deserves further discussion, and again, you need to involve the, our state representatives in this. Well, and what do you think? I mean, yeah, you know, if it's too expensive to do anything with, did you just tear it down and make yeah, a park no, out of it? I mean, I mean, what do you do with it? Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, this is an issue that that's a little bit newer to me, but you know, having time to kind of think about it and consider it, and knowing uh, the location of the armory being adjacent to Stotsky Park, um, you know, I could I could see some combination of things where you know. Uh, 
I, I as well would probably be more in favor of purchasing something, but uh, knowing where the state of things are at, at the moment uh, and, and how crowded things are that, you know, again, to lease something seven years, 10 years while you're working on getting grant funds to, to mitigate some of the issues that are with the armory, with a plan that, okay, you know, again, it's a, it's a, it's somewhat of a historic structure, right? I mean, it, it, I'm not familiar of exactly the year that it was built, but uh, it was, I'm sure it was well built. It's a beautiful building uh, from the outside. Uh, and again, being so close to Stotsky Park, you could even have a drive like where you're driving all the way through from uh, coming uh, uh, Pulaski Street, you know, where you could actually, because I think about the front side of the armory and being on 58 and the traffic concerns and making a left turn out of there where if you could kind of continue that roadway from Pulaski going up to Stotsky, uh, through Stotsky Park to give it access that way, I, I think I like the idea of utilizing uh, an already existing historic structure that you're not just going to tear it down. Uh, so I, I think it would have to be a combination of things. But, yeah, yes. Sell that to the fire department? I think the fire department is involved, but again, we'd, we'd still have that conversation, you know, with them as well. There was a lot of discussion this past year uh, following the uh, changes at the state level related to uh, marijuana coming in. And um, so that was, you know, obviously a big topic uh, as the town board decided, um, you know, whether to move forward, you know, with, with opt-in out or not. Um, uh, can we know, you know, you voted on this and you uh, did yes. not want to see the uh, retail sales and dispensaries here. Um, I never had an issue with retail sales. I don't want dispensaries here. And when I, I don't want public venues where people are gathering and smoking marijuana. But the state of New York said you can't separate the two. So just to clarify that. So what are the next steps now? What, what is the town board going to have to look at and what kind of decisions are going to be um, – facing the town board on this particular topic in this next year or two so again um the state says wow sell marijuana look at all the funding you're going to get and i say show me the proof what what financial gain are we really going to have from this you know um two percent of nothing's nothing ten percent of nothing's nothing um the county owes us millions of dollars in from our sewage treatment plant that we can't get a check from the county so what makes them going to say well here we're going to start going to give you money for the for the sale of marijuana i don't i don't see any proof of that happening not only that but it's also the the financial revenues are controlled by the governor and so how we even get the funds and what percentage of funds we're going to get is a complete unknown factor i don't have a problem i made it very clear with people smoking marijuana but i think it should be done in your own home in your own residence in your place i don't want it in my town parks i don't want it in our new town square I want, to want to, I want to sit in a restaurant, and if I'm out on a patio, I don't want to smell marijuana. I don't have an issue with marijuana. Do it in your own place, in the privacy of your own home. If you need to come someplace in Riverhead and you need to purchase it, purchase it, take it home with you. The problem with marijuana having it um, in consumption places is we do not have the ability to enforce consumption. So uh, the best way to clarify it was you go into a bar and you have one drink and, and you have a certain blood alcohol level and then you have two drinks and three drinks and you know, you're drunk and, and, and a police officer can stop you and, and we have a blood alcohol content. And so we know that at that point, you've committed a crime. You know, you, that's drinking and driving. With marijuana, we don't have that ability. 
and marijuana affects people differently. So if one person consumes a certain portion of marijuana, whether through smoking or chewing, eating, and another person consumes the same, you might have two very different people sitting in front of you. One is sleeping tired and the other one is hungry and, and who knows what. One is energetic, one is absolutely not falsely it affects people differently so we don't have a proper method to monitor in place and now so we have to put this burden on our police officers currently right now in the town of riverhead we do not have a police officer certified in marijuana uh, to be able to, to to determine whether or not um, driving abilities are impaired we have, I believe, one police officer in Southampton Town that's certified, and I think we have two perhaps in the sheriff's department. How are you going to see and say, let's start consumptions, let, let's let people start going in there, let's let them, let them smoke marijuana, do what they want to do, let's put them on the road and, and we'll figure out law enforcement later on? No. You need to build your protection barriers first. You need to get your law enforcement trained, organized before you're going to do this. I chose to opt out because this town is not ready for it. And I believe now Southhold, I think, opted out, if I'm correct, right? I think they did. Okay. okay. They had discussions on it. But, yeah. And so, um, but my concern is that we are not ready for this. I always say in certain points we lead by example and we're doing it so many things. I think this is something you need to take a giant step back and go, okay, how is this going to affect our communities? Where are you going to put it? So now the town board against my opposition and the supervisor as well agreed and, and said, we're going to have consumption places. Okay, where are you going to put it? You know, um, you have schools throughout the town in certain areas. So we have, you know, on, on, we got a Roanoke Elementary School. We've got Pulaski School. So we were saying, okay, nowhere in that area. So is it going to be downtown? Well, we also have uh, communities and residents downtown. We have people living in those apartments, those buildings, those homes. So maybe they don't want it there. Catherine Kent said, put it over in EPCAL, and maybe that's the area to do it. Well, EPCAL's supposed to be high-tech jobs in there, not marijuana dis consumption places. I completely disagree with that. And not only that, but EPCAL is the furthest place from the majority of our homes so now when it's 9 o'clock, if that's what the town's going to regulate and say it's time everybody to go home, finish your consumption of marijuana, get in your car and drive home, this is a terrible idea. So I don't have a problem with marijuana. I have a problem with consumptions. We're not ready for it because we can't enforce it, and it's too dangerous. The day we talked about this, and I used an example of what happened to Andrew McMorris and that he was killed by a DWI and, and – um, and then like the following day, you know, I, I, another one of our Riverhead bus drivers was, and that those alcohol instance was, was drunk and what, and um, thank God everybody on the bus, the bus was stopped and all the students were saved. But I understand that that's alcohol, but when is, when are those same issues going to come and is, is, is marijuana going, going to heighten that, you know, so we now, we still don't have a control of, of, um, our DWIs, you know, everybody in society knows drinking and driving doesn't work, but it still exists. It still happens. Tell that to the McMorris family that lost their child. And now we're going to add a second avenue to that with marijuana consumption and saying, here, smoke here, get your car, go home. It's terrible all around. You want to set up a retail shop, purchase it, go home, sit in your, sit in your home, smoke marijuana. We have no right to 
say, and I don't have any issue with anybody that does that. But I don't want it in my town parks. I don't want it near my schools. Um, I want to be able to go out and enjoy it and not smell it. Interesting topic. Um, I think it should have been legalized a long time ago, uh, quite frankly. And I, I just look at it's. I think the way it's being legalized is uh, being done by politicians, and it's a completely reckless, just the way bail reform in its when it first came out was completely reckless, and that's what politicians do. Well, how do I get my next vote, right? How do I just, I'm against the other side, so you have to be polar opposite and vote for me. But, and I know I'm, I don't want to digress too far, but look at alcohol. If, what, what, I look at CBD oil, right? I was involved in the CBD oil business. It's highly, highly regulated. You, the THC level, if it goes past 0.01, just one tenth of a percent over that you might get high from it, the USDA destroys it. I believe that the THC levels should be regulated uh, same way that alcohol 80 proof, you know, uh, you know what the alcohol content is and what the proof rate is in, in uh, distilled spirits. There should be some kind of metrics there because otherwise, and you can buy a $50 joint or a hundred, the $100 joint is going to get you blind and you're going to drive, right? Uh, I think that we need to be looking at that. And that's really on a state level. And I, and I look, a lot of things that happen in the state, a lot of things that happen in the federal government affect our town. So uh, um, that's something I think uh, we're actually looking into that with other groups um, and, and seeing what the state can do. Because, as you know, when bail reform came out, it was, here you go, it's a complete green light. There's parts of bail reform that were, were absolutely needed to be done, no question about it. And I worked with Judge Smith on that. He brought it to, to us early. Um, but this is just, this is what politicians do. Let's just legalize it and we'll fix it all later you know we'll find out what where the flaws are but that's my my view on it i mean yeah should it be legal yes should people be put in jail for having a joint absolutely no and uh but i do think you need to really look at the thc levels and how to regulate that the usda again does it with cbd oil they can do it with marijuana one, it's a huge issue. Had you been on the town board then, how would you have voted? So, you know, a couple things. Uh, one, I, I do consult uh, as a winemaker, uh, and I consult at a winery just outside of Northampton, Massachusetts, technically in West Hampton, Massachusetts. So, coincidentally, when I first started consulting there, the first weekend that I went up there was the first weekend that a dispensary in Massachusetts had opened. So, it opened up in, in Northampton. So, I continue to go up there. Uh, for the past couple of years, so I can I can personally see and talk to people that can talk about the impacts that it has had on the on the community. Financially, it's it's been positive. Uh, the the town has gotten a significant amount of funds, you know, from from the sale of marijuana, which they do uh, foresee that there was going to be the spike the first year, and then long term, as more places open, you, you'd see that decrease. Uh, but you know. 
being a once again being a downtown resident, uh, I am not in favor of seeing the dispensaries downtown. Uh, I think the, what we are trying to create uh, downtown with the town square and the aquarium, um, you know, we are trying to c- create a family friendly environment. Uh, and and I do agree, you know, although I'm not in opposition to the use of marijuana, I it much like alcohol being from the craft beverage industry, uh, it marijuana will be regulated by the SLA and some of the, re- the restrictions that are currently on, on, on alcohol should be imposed on, on marijuana, uh, such as not being able to have open containers in parks and, and things of that, na- that nature, as well as smoking laws. We're 50 feet away from doors. Like, again, I, you know, not around schools. Uh, I do believe personally that I, I would prefer people to utilize it in their home environment than in, than in public. Uh, but, you know, it is at this point, you can smoke it legally, uh, just like a, a cigarette anywhere that cigarettes are, are able to be smoked. Uh, so I think there's we we probably have to have some discussions about that. But as a town board, uh, we can we can dictate some things such as the hours of operation, the saturation, the number of dispensaries that would be. I think 58 Route 58 would be a better environment for it, only just because of par- parking and traffic. Uh, I, I would prefer to see it there than see it see it downtown. Yeah. But once the estimate, let's say the estimates for how much the towns can make is way less than what everybody, in other words, the reality Mm. turns out to be something far different. Mm. Then what do you do? What do you go to next? You're saying it's it's another another tax generator revenue. X and you didn't make X because the numbers were just bogus. Yeah. What do you do now? To go back and say, well, heck, we're now we're short six million dollars. Right, well, what do you do now? Well, I, I think you know, learning the lessons or listening to other other townships that have again, this is we're not going to yeah. be the first township in the United States to do this. There's been precedent set here, so you can look to the examples of what has occurred. But I don't think you go ahead and say, okay, we're opening up the dispensaries. Let's go spend a couple extra million dollars, you know, based on that revenue that's going to come in. I think you have to look at what comes in and have some. Form Foresight to know that it is likely going to go down as more townships, you know, or more dispensaries are, are opened across Long Island and even in New York City. Just, just quickly, I mean, it, it, and you know, I'm really sensitive to your question because I look at the New York State lottery system, right? When that was sold to the uh, constituents of New York State, it was that money was going to go into education. I. If I had excess time, I would do a documentary and follow that money trail uh, when all the schools are, are, are looking. But we talk about smoking marijuana, right? That's what I hear here. But there's gummies, brownies, you know, so you can bring those to the park, to the town square, to the beach, whatever. You know, I'm just uh, – but I'm, I'm very uh, sensitive uh, – to your question, and that's my big concern because uh, New York State has had, and the county, you know, they have a way of holding back your money. But anyway, but there is precedent in other other states. You know, they're doing well. Colorado, California, Oregon. I'm not sure people in Colorado would agree with that. Yeah, Colorado is the, the, yeah. pe- the people in Colorado. You can go in Aspen and walk yeah. down the street. Yeah, I, I mean, you get high walking down the street. Well, it's not just that, but the the accident, the car accident rate in Colorado has gone through the roof, and and a lot of it is attributed to mar, uh, to marijuana. From what I'm hearing from people that actually live there, but that's what I'm talking about is regulating the THC level. 
does that prevent, I mean, because we're basically, by legalizing it, we're taking out of, we've given the gangs, what, 20 plus years to, you know, make billions of dollars and expand their operations, right? So we're finally cutting cutting that off. Uh, I do think we need to, to regulate the amount of THC, and that's SLA. I just wanted to answer your question when you said what happens when we don't get those fundings and then where do we go from there? The problem is we're on a timeline right now, so we're on a really a poor road. I can tell you, I feel confident that we're not going to see the finances. We're not going to see the economic income from this. We're not going to get our share. And the problem is we need to opt out before the end of the year. And so we've had our vote and uh, I lost that battle along with the supervisor. And so here we are and there's going to be dispensaries and consumption places in the town of Riverhead. Um, And once they're in place and once we get past, I believe, January 1st, it's not going to change. You know, you, you've missed you've missed the window of opportunity. What was sad is that we could have opted out. We could have seen what happens with the other surrounding towns around us, take a good look at them, and we could have always came back into the program. But if you're not out by the end of the year, then, then this is how it is, and it remains that path. And again, I don't have a problem with the, the consumption of marijuana and your own personal time, I think it has incredible medicinal purposes. I just watched an article on what, um, you know, uh, with a disabled child and what it's done for it, it you know, by the, by the use of it. There are incredible aspects of it from medical to recreational, but no consumption places in our town. I, I respect what, what Juan said about he doesn't want it in downtown Riverhead, right? That's the way your family is. Every, I get it. I think that's going to be the answer with everybody. I live in Wading River. I like to go down to the duck ponds and sit it. I don't want it there. So I'm wondering, where are we going to put it? You know, who's going? My town, I'd love it to be over here. That would be great. We want to be the only hamlet in Riverhead that, that has it. I don't foresee it. The supervisor asked me to head up a um, just like a panel of people before to discuss this marijuana consumption. And we've reached out. We've sent letters to the school board um, to the, uh, excuse me, the uh, superintendent of schools. And we sent letters to uh, the CAP, which has a great uh, program here for our kids. Uh, we sent it to the to civic associations, and we're asking for their input. We're scheduling um, shortly a gathering date where we're going to share these exact principles. Where do people in the town of Riverhead want it? So your town board voted for you to have it, but I don't know where you're going to put it. Two, two, two uh, things there. One, I'd, I'd like to formally volunteer to be part of, of this committee. Uh, and, and number two, I, I do think it was a mistake to not include Columbia Care, you know, in that committee as they do have information that could be clearly you know, they're going to be for it. However, they have information that can that factual data that can be utilized that could be helpful to make a better decision. And so they're not, they're not sitting on the panel, Columbia Care, but I have spoken at length on a number of times to their attorney, Mr. Lasquadro, has represents them. And I think, yes, they have a ton of knowledge to share. But I think when you have a financial interest of where you want to put it, I don't think that, um, um, that they should be part of the decision maker of where it's going to be. I think because you know I, I'm going to select where I think I can make the most money if I'm if I'm the owner or operator. Mm. Okay, so they but but yes they have insight, 
They can attend the meetings. They can share their thoughts. And that's all that Mr. Lasquadro, as the representing him, said to him. They want to have they want to have a place at the table to talk and share. But in terms of a decision making, I mean, ultimately the decisions are all done by the town board. You know, the sitting town board is going to decide on that. Um, but but I wouldn't want them to to push upon residents where they feel those specific locations would be. But they certainly have knowledge and they've been invited to share their thoughts. So just to, to partial departure from the conversation, but you're saying because that they make money or they they have a financial benefit from it that they can't make a clear decision or they can't is that uh, yeah, have, skin, in the skin in the game yeah, yeah so i, I mean I do think you think accepting campaign I contributions have, from people that have pending things before the town do you think that that skews any any decision making at all we're talking about a placement of 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 where the matter want to want to be that should be decided by the residents of the town and not specifically by a, 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 a venture you know so you let the residents you know from each hamlet you let the school board speak. You let the civic association speak. You ask them, do you want this next door? Do you want this near you? What are your feelings about it? And let them determine. What are the effects? Talk about marijuana. Yes, Columbia Care should come, and they can give us a lot of information to take in. Doesn't Columbia Care already has, uh, there's already a medical, they make, they, they grow for medical marijuana, and they already have a dispensary. Uh, in Riverhead on East Main Street. So I, I don't know that they're growing for, you know, uh, consumer street uh, uh, consumption, uh, to my knowledge. I mean, they'll, they'll know how to tap into that market, though. I, don't, I fully trust that. You know. Yeah, but they, they've yeah. got a pretty secure market, uh, you know, in medical marijuana. But Whatever they decide to do, I can't run their business. Look, I think we all know the most logical spot is right in between Funchos and Snowflake. Oh, there you go. I mean, let's make it easier, more convenient for everybody. <laughs> I think we're out of time, though, right, guys? So uh, thank you for, uh, for doing this. We say thank, thank you very much. Thank you for, you for doing it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having us.